Most classical Christian educators will talk about truth and goodness, but when it comes to beauty, well, it seems like it's maybe not as critical or as practical, or at best it's just the encouragement to put some nice artwork on our walls. Yet beauty, when properly understood, is the antidote to much of the rising anxiety and depression so prevalent in our modern culture. And furthermore, beauty is really the door to understand truth and goodness in the first place. If we want to raise up a generation to love what God loves, then we need to figure out where beauty fits into everyday life. Professional chef and teacher Nick Duncan shares with us some of his own discoveries that will transform your home and your classroom. Stay tuned for this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens sitting here with Nick Duncan. How are you, Nick? I'm doing well, Davies. Thank you. I'm so glad to actually be with you. It's nice to actually do an interview where I get to be with people. And we are six feet apart if somebody's worried about that. We're, we're doing great here distance. We have the six-foot pole in between yeah, us right yeah, now. Yeah, we're not yes. too worried about it. But it's good to be with you, Nick. Um, we are um, here today to talk about really a discovery that I would, if I can use that language, kind of a discovery that you've made that I think is kind of framed in this bigger conversation of what are we missing in classical Christian education? And I know I've, I've kind of become a student of every time there's an open house talk online or somebody's write, written a new book on classical Christian, I want to understand how are they articulating what it is. And it does seem like when it comes to this triad of the truth, goodness, and beauty thing that's probably at every open house, we tend to have more interest in truth and goodness than maybe beauty. So we're going to talk about why we, how we maybe lost beauty and why that's so important as the big missing ingredient. But first, if people don't know you, um, I first met you, I think, uh, under the official name of Chef Nick. And then um, you were, you've been in the restaurant world for and cooking professionally for how long? Uh, about 12 years. Yeah. that's um, And you had a restaurant. I went to your restaurant at one point. It was really good. You used yep. to cater food for the school. And then, in the same time, you were also in, very involved in your church as an elder. You, you've got an MDiv. You've kind of pr- been. A, you're a professional Christian, um, <laughs> I guess we could say. <laughs> yes. But then somehow along the way, the school bug bit you. So, talk. How did that happen? You ended up teaching now as a tenth grade teacher. Yeah. Um. Uh, actually, it was actually through you and um, David Goodwin. Believe it or not, both of you had a different different influence on me. But uh, I was asking, you know, you guys were actually, um, our church is across the street from the school and you guys were looking at using our building. And I was just like, what is the Ambrose school and what is classical Christian education? I had no clue what any of that meant. And through uh, talking to both of you at different times, um, I had the bug, um, bite me for that. Um, and my son who was only one at the time when I was like, man, when he is, you know, old enough to go to, uh, you know, kindergarten, he's definitely going to Ambrose. I don't care what it takes. And, um, and, and so since then my fervor hasn't left wow. um, for the classical Christian. Do you education. remember specifically what was the bug bite? I mean, like what was the thing that you went, man, okay, that's it. Yeah, no. So I used to do, um, middle school and high school youth ministries at my church and I would only have these kids for two or three hours a week if that, and just realizing that I was competing with hours and hours of public school and sports and band and all these different things. And, um, I felt like I never had really a good influence and, uh, talking to you and, and David, 
uh, made me realize, man, there's hours and hours a day that the people at Ambrose have an influence over these children. And so um, I think David had something like 16,000 hours he talks about um, if they go from K through 12. And, and that really spoke to me. Um, like, man, if we're going to do ministry with children, that's the way to do it. Not necessarily um, the one hour on Wednesday nights and the, you know, Sunday yeah. school on Sunday mornings necessarily. Right. So, so was there, so then you, you kind of dipped your toe in uh, teaching Greek, not a small, that's like dip your whole foot in. I mean, <laughs> you can, I mean, as far as that's pretty amazing with your seminary background. So you started teaching Greek. Yes. Greek one and uh, Harry and Ambrose and loved it. Um, and I had such a good experience with the kids and we just had a lot of fun teaching yeah. Greek and, uh, then an opening came up for 10th grade, yeah. uh, humanities, and I applied and, and, and ended up getting it. And, and I've been here ever since. This is my fourth year total, counting yeah. the year of Greek at Ambrose. And um, I just, like, this is my favorite job I've ever had, I think, honestly. So that's, that's a pretty, that's pretty, you're a pretty good cook. By the way, I think at the end, if people are interested, we are going to offer a Chef Nick a, a cooking tip. So if you, I don't want to lose that side of your many facets of, of Nick Duncan's talents. But, uh, but let's talk a bit more. What I love, you've been, you know, three and four years now in a classroom, kind of behind the scenes, if you will, in this form of education where, you know, as we said right at the beginning, truth, goodness, and beauty, it's on everybody's website. It's kind of what we claim we do. But you kind of made a discovery in terms of those three don't often, don't always get equal uh, limelight. Like what, what's, what, why is that? What did, what did you discover and how has that changed you in the classroom? Yeah. So for me, I don't think I even really understood or realized that beauty was never really talked about. And I, I've discovered since then it, it is, but not explicitly. We, we hit on it and we hint at it, but we never really go deep into like the theology of beauty, for instance. So um, I remember thinking one day, I was like, you know, I get truth, I get goodness, but I really don't understand beauty. And I, I, I kept thinking back to my seminary days and I'm like, I don't think we ever talked about beauty. Like it just seems completely devoid of the theology of beauty. And I was like, you know, if a student asked me why is beauty important or why is it included with truth and goodness, I realized I had zero answer for that. I had no good answer. And um, and so it it started me on a journey of just finding that answer. And maybe not to spoiler alert, we won't go into what we're going to say at the end here. But I do I want to reassure if anybody's listening, they're thinking, okay, these guys are about to get out their pipes and tweed jackets and go into some deep esoteric conversation of the importance of the philosophy of beauty there we can go there but i think the reality is this has everything to do with what a teenager today has got to understand if we really want them to be followers of christ in a very complicated world this beauty thing actually has a lot of just practical value to it yeah actually it's um probably between the three it's probably one of the most um, applicable in their daily lives um, between the other the other two um, so much so that I think it does more to build the affections for the things of God, wow. even, even more than truth and goodness, believe it or not. So, so. why do you think truth and goodness get, get first pick, you know, or, and why do they get <laughs> limelight? Because they're easy. Yeah. No, honestly. I mean, I think honestly, truth and goodness, those are things that we have an easier understanding of um, compared to beauty. Um, uh, truth, you know, we get it, like God's word, the logos, um, uh, you know, goodness, you know, like when God created the world, it was good, it was very good. And we understand that there's the different dimensions to that. Um, but when we come to the word beauty, um, in fact, I had an or, uh, uh, exercise with my students earlier this semester with our tutorials saying, hey, how would you define beauty? And um, it's interesting to see what people come up with. And um, 
Uh, and I would honestly offer that to anybody. How would you define beauty? Um, right. And, and, you know, what does that mean? And, and it's it's very esoteric. It's very hard to, to come to a, a substantial understanding of. And I guess I wonder, I mean, for so many, those of us, most of us parent teachers, we didn't grow up under classical Christian and sort of the modern world that we live in is you get your hand slapped if you, if you critique anybody's definition of beauty. I mean, isn't that part of the problem? Like my beauty is don't, don't tell me what my beauty is. I mean, it's all individualistic and subjective. And it's turned into that. It wasn't always that way, though. Right. That really started happening with uh, Edmund Burke. Um, and that's when it started really becoming the idea of beauty in the eye of the beholder kind of a thing. Right, right. Um, but before that, it really didn't have that understanding of yeah. the world. So, And I could, I'm saying, because I can see, again, people thinking, okay, where are these guys going? Because it seems like beauty, it's almost like, I don't know, a cherry on top. Like, that's nice, you know. And, and it isn't it great that... Our many classical Christian schools care about aesthetics. We care that the building doesn't look like a lot of, I've always said, I've always wondered, you know, why is it that so many government schools look frighteningly a lot like prisons? Like maybe the gray walls and the the brick and the steel probably doesn't invoke a sense of beauty. I mean, there's something to an aesthetic. And and that's, again, part of this piece that I think is easy to sweep away and say beauty is just a a cherry on the top. And, And actually what you're discovering is it's, it's the centerpiece. So, yeah. And actually beauty, I would say has been the victim of our society becoming more and more utilitarian. Yes. And, and so as we, um, it, you know, if we're trying to repair the ruins, you know, in the, in the parlance of the classical Christian Milton. movement, <laughs> right. Um, then part of that needs to be reintroduction and rediscovering of what beauty actually is and how that can inform a, an established or a proper aesthetic. So, okay. Well, I want to, we're going to take a break in a second and come back. Cause I want to really get into what is this, uh, as you say, it's kind of a trinity, and this is, it'd be like leaving out the Holy Spirit, which would be a big mess. So we want to figure out, I don't know if we can equate beauty to the Holy Spirit, but beauty is pretty important. Yes. And sort of your experience, again, in the classrooms, and just ultimately we're going to talk about some great stories of students just coming alive to this very thing that God made them for, this idea of transcendence. So we'll be right back with Chef Nick Duncan. Hello, my name is David Kern, and I'm with the Searcy Institute. And I'd like to tell you about a new product that we have available now called 30 Poems to Memorize Before It's Too Late. It features some of the most essential poems ever written and is a book for people who believe that the mind is worth filling with beautiful things. Each poem has been carefully selected by a panel of poets, educators, and scholars, and is accompanied by a brief but thoughtful essay that explores the poem, identifying questions to ask, images to contemplate, and forms to revel in. If you love poetry, or just want to make poetry a bigger part of your life or your school's life, then please check out 30 Poems to Memorize Before It's Too Late. You can get it right now on Amazon.com or at searcyinstitute.org slash 30 poems. That's searcyinstitute.org slash 30 poems. So we're here with Nick Duncan talking about this discovery of the lost beauty of truth, goodness, and beauty, or, or beauty has sort of been the, the neglected element of all of that. And it's not just a philosophical loss, um, Nick, it's really a downstream if you look at where our culture is today. And I think, you know, what you hear a lot these days, especially in COVID world of the rising sense of disparity and depression and isolation, loneliness, especially among teenagers. Um, we were talking at the break just about there's actually a pretty direct corollary to when you raise kids on just this pablum of materialism and beauty is in the eye of the beholder and there's nothing transcendent it leaves a very 
uh, a, a gap, a hole in our souls that, that beauty can fill. So talk about how that fits. Yeah. And so I want to actually give some credit to someone. Um, um, I've never met this person, but she wrote a book. Her name is Lisa Kutras and she wrote a book called Tolkien's theology of beauty. And, um, and I, I'm not kidding. When I read this book, it really changed, um, my viewpoint on so many things. But one of the things that um, using Tolkien and Lewis and um, and scripture to kind of uh, to, to to show this is she shows how um, you know the transcendentals right uh, truth goodness beauty and and also the transcendentals love hope faith you know things of of God right um, we were created for those things um, we were created to experience um, a life um, in totally immersed in truth and goodness and beauty. And because of the fall, um, because of our separation, um, we are now down to glimpses of those things where we can still glimpse them. We can still experience them in small, minute ways, but we don't get to experience them fully. And what that does is it leaves us a hunger for those things. And, um, and so we, we want to experience the beauty. We want to experience truth. We want to experience goodness. And, um, and we hunger for it, even though we may not realize it. And, what the world tells us today, our culture tells us today, is we're primarily a, a, a naturalistic, materialistic world where there is no spiritual realm, there is no transcendence, and that's bred a culture right now that's just you know like we're stardust and we're products of chance. So it's very nihilistic; nothing matters, um, and we wonder um, and hopefully are not surprised by the suicide epidemic. For instance, is a good, um, I think, a good corollary to this. It's led to this, anyways. Um, and, and so how do we fight that? And um, when we remember that we are created and designed for not just the physical, but also the spiritual, and we can introduce those transcendentals, things like truth, goodness, and beauty, um, then it reminds people and it shows them that there is something more and, and beyond the physical. And so it's, it actually has real world application when we can expose our students to the, the truth, to goodness, to beauty. Um, it reminds them and it leads them always should lead them towards the creator and, and which automatically assigns worth and dignity to, mm-hmm. um, uh, us as humans. And, um, and then things now start to matter. And, and so again, um, I don't know if I answered your question or not, but no, I think that's, I, <clears throat> it's very helpful because again, I think we live in a world where we've tried to, um, kind of dumbed down somebody once said when i was doing youth group years ago the worst thing the worst son in the world is to bore people with god like let's make god so commonplace jesus my buddy and everything is about ourselves and then the world tells us that you can be anything you want to be you can do whatever you want to do and you're and you're if you're you know if i'm the centerpiece of my world that's a pretty depressing place when i'm alone and quiet thinking about it yeah and, and when you make mess up and when you mess up like yeah. I think, well and yet what we're saying is that what we want to give our students is the very thing we're we long for as humans, which is to, it's to be on our knees before something bigger than us, a holy God, a transcendent God and beauty provides it. So, but what is that? So, well, let's keep going with this. Cause I want to, you've, you've, you know, Tolkien and others have, have spoken into this in ways that have helped inform you. So, I mean, as a classroom teacher, you've, you've kind of gone, okay, wait a minute, we got to lean in and do more of this. What does that look like? Yeah. So one of the things that we kind of talk about in our classes, um, looking at just human history and and the way societies have moved over time um when things like the transcendent when we when we take away god when we take away the spiritual realm and the transcendental realm and just bring it to the material what happens is um beauty is actually the first casualty of that um and so beauty goes down to the level of just humanistic aesthetics like beauty is an eye of the beholder um and what happens then over time is then it 
it also brings down truth and goodness. So now truth and goodness are in the eye of the beholder. It's very subjective. And that's exactly what we see in our society today. That didn't happen overnight. It happened over probably some centuries. But so, go ahead. Yeah, well, so I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, the folks are probably thinking, okay, I, I'm following you, but like, what does that look like? And I, and I don't, and again, I'm curious just from a pure, like, boots on the ground what does that mean like our kids need to stare at more beautiful art our kids need to have what does that look like so that's a great great question and that might be part of it you know exposing our kids to things like 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 a true opera for instance can be a beautiful thing or a gregorian chant or a beautiful art or what have you i mean a beautiful building that we go to school in those are all important things but we have to realize that beauty um is has a purpose as well and it actually makes the truth and the goodness more attractive it actually makes us want those things. And so beauty can actually um, start to um, inform and um, transform our affections for things that are true and beautiful or true and good, right? And and so like when we have a hard time, like why don't, why don't our kids want to do the right thing or why don't our kids want to be good or why don't our kids want the truth? Um, well, one of the things we have to look at is, well, if beauty's become a casualty and the true and the good don't appear good to them like how can we transform their affections towards that well uh, making it winsome making it a beautiful in a sense um can help lead that um to those things so what does that look like though i mean what is yeah give me a sense of where that where where we picked up beauty that we discarded and all of a sudden that created more of value for truth and goodness like how did that what does that look like in the life of a young person or even in the life of, of re, in the readings that you're doing. Yeah. How are you going to approach that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I guess from a very applicable standpoint, um, one of the things we, we talk about is, let's say, just an easy example like music. So pick your favorite song. Um, and, and we have this discussion. And, and how do you know it's beautiful? I love Lady Gaga. What's wrong okay, with that? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, no, that's the thing is like, how do you know this song is beautiful? And, right. um, and so what we realize is truth, goodness, and beauty are intertwined. They, they are kind of a trinity of sorts. They have to go together and they work together. And, and so when, if something's truly beautiful, there will be um, truth and goodness associated with it, part of it. Mm-hmm. And so now the students can take a look at that song that they love and it's beautiful in a sense because they enjoy hearing it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but is it truly beautiful or is it a beauty that's leading towards God? And then they can look at that song and be, okay, well, it's not good or it's not true. Yeah. Therefore, it can't be truly beautiful. And then the question comes, well, why would we want something less? Why would we want to expose ourselves or to enjoy things that um, are away from God or um, don't please God, right? I mean, it's not even about like what you like or don't like. It's like if, if we're designed to, um, you know, experience the true, good, and beautiful, and only through those things can we truly be satisfied in a way, um, then then we're actually experiencing less when we have things that don't experience the true, the good, the beautiful in some way. And so it, it starts to inform their aesthetic on their own. They can actually go home and look at the song or listen to the songs, the TV shows, the books they read, whatever, and they can start automatically, is that true, is it good, and is it beautiful? And they start making their own decisions right off the yeah. bat, right? So, you know. So I'm wondering. I'm, I have to. I'm trying to weave this back into your world as a chef. Is there a corollary? Do you think to, it's sort of like saying modern American food is largely just kind of artificial fast food? It's just it it throws calories in your body and a whole bunch of chemicals, and it just kind of it's kind of just truth and goodness. It's true. It'll fill your body up, and it's maybe it's good because it has fillers in it, but it's really not beautiful food. 
Is that a, can we, can, oh, you, yeah. can you so, make that work? <laughs> so I used to teach at the culinary school and one of the biggest mm. things that we taught was play presentation. Okay. And the idea is you always eat with your eyes first. Oh, interesting. And, and so, um, if, you know, if I was going to make a, a wonderful dish and I just slopped it on a plate and threw it in front of you, um, it might taste as good as no matter how I played it up. Right. And, and it's still going to be good food or whatever. Um, but you're not going to enjoy it. There's something missing or lost from it. And so, um, you, you know, there's a whole, like I said, class on just how to, um, do plate presentations and the rule of thirds and all these different things and, and in, in different textures and colors. And, and basically it comes out and it's just this beautiful thing. And, and to me, a win from a chef standpoint is they just sit there and stare at it for a second before they even dig yeah. in. Right. And, and it's in more enjoyable. It brings it to a whole new level and they haven't even tasted it yet. Right. And I think that's what, again, is, I think it's a great example. I can think of when I was young, college 20 something, I had a, the blessing of having a British mentor, um, through my time studying at Labrie, that's a long story, but I remember he took me to the Tate Gallery in London, and I had, I was typical American teenager, kind of public school, prep school thing, kind of impatient. I didn't grow up around um, art and stuff, and I remember we went in the Tate Gallery, and he sat me down and said, stare at that Rembrandt for, I'll be back in 20 minutes, and I thought, I got it. It's a picture, he's got in a boat, okay, good. But I found after about... I don't know, some period of time before the 20 minutes, all of a sudden when I was willing to really focus on that piece of art, it became three-dimensional. It became rich. I saw things I would have never thought of before. And I, and I started gaining thought and dimension that I would have never had just skimming across the top of a picture of a guy in a boat or whatever it was at that point. So, I mean, there's a dimension that awakens in us through beauty. And, and there is, and, and, you know, going back to the chef's analogy, um, I don't know, and I know a lot of chefs, I don't know very many of them who are picky. And the reason why is that the more they work with the food and the more they see the talent that it takes to create certain things or to cook in different techniques or what have you, um, they start to, and they have to know how it's supposed to taste. So even things that they might not like over time, they actually start to enjoy them and love them. Yeah. Um, and I had students that were like, well, I don't want to like, for instance, we'd be teaching them how to cook salmon properly. And well, I, I don't like salmon. Well, I bet you haven't ever had it cooked properly. Right. And right. then you cook it for them. And they take a bite and they're like, you're right, I've never had salmon like this before. And now they have this new love of salmon. Great example. Yeah. You know, and, and I think yeah. that's what we try to do in our classrooms, yeah. right? Is like we introduce them to these stories or to these ideas. And again, we can read them off like we hate them. Right. And it's going to take something away from it. But right. when we're excited. And, and, and that's really modern education is it's really just let's distill this down to the best basic set of facts. It's as, as, as Charlotte Mason, who often quote talks, it's really like sawdust. I mean, it's just eat your silly sawdust and it's twaddle. It's just the lowest common denominator. It's nothing. It doesn't raise the spirit of the soul. And I think that's. I mean, it's it's exciting because this is the very enterprise that we're trying to raise a generation up that loves what God loves. Well, if God is is rich and and owns all of, I mean, heaven will be endless beauty and it's, it's a reflection of who he is. Then we want to f- form that appetite. I think that's, it is a good cooking mo- mo- model there. I mean, it's you wanna, easy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of it, again, back to what we talked about earlier is that it's so counter our culture where, well, we can't say anything's wrong. Everything's got to be good. It's like, no, it's actually, there is bad, poorly presented and poorly prepared salmon that tastes like rubber. Like we can say that and it's okay. We can say that 
art is really somebody tripped while carrying a bucket of paint, and that's interesting, but that's not a Rembrandt. So. And, and think about it, you can't say that if you truly believe that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Right, right, exactly. But, but if you understand that beauty is objective and of and from God, then yeah. now it's easy to say, actually, no, that's not beautiful. Yeah, it's really good. Well, let's take another quick break. We'll come back, and we're going to um, tell a few stories and, and show, again, just this this amazing uh, ability of beauty to transform what we love in our hearts and ultimately raise up students to be passionate followers of Christ to see that, that third, what I call the 3d dimension of beauty. So we'll be right back with Nick Duncan. A classical education is an education of the whole person of the classical education program at the university of Dallas. Understand that the work that they do is really in service to what the teachers at the K-12 level are doing. The search for truth can never become old, and that's the great joy of being a teacher in the classical model of education. Welcome back to Base Camp. Nick Duncan and I talking about truth, goodness, and beauty and the lost world of beauty that we want to recapture because ultimately we want our students to love what God loves. I mean, if there's, I don't know, a parent or a teacher out there that when they walk across to graduate, what did we do in this classical Christian experience? Oh, they know all the great books. Great. They went through the trivium. Great. There's something if we're missing it, if we don't understand that we want to, we want to help shape what they love. Um, and so beauty matters and it's a, it's a real part of our education that I think often gets kind of second billing and not primary. So tell, tell us, tell us more. You were, you were quoting a few different, like Dostoevsky. What, what was his take on all of this? Yeah. So, um, well, to begin with, we, um, through this journey, I just got super excited. I know there's other classical, you know, Christian teachers and leaders out there that really do a good job with beauty. Um, I'm new to this still. And so this was new to me. And, um, and so I want to make that very clear that I know I'm not the only one out there that's even thinking about this, but, um, I uh, wanted to do something very intentional in my classroom uh, with beauty and bring it up to the level of truth and goodness into the eyes of my students. And um, so I talked to the administrators here and said, hey, we have tutorials that I have to do. Um, can I use those tutorials and like and, and really teach about beauty? And so they said, yes, go for it. And and by the way, people that don't know, so at Amherst, tutorials are really more of kind of an Oxford model where you're meeting as a 10th grade teacher, one-on-one uh, two, or, or two on, I mean, it's lower, three, it's a very small group, yeah, three two, or one. two or three. Okay. Yep. And, uh, and we have time to go really deep into certain mm-hmm. things. And I'm doing this whole first semester on nothing but what is beauty. And, um, and we've just gone, we're in our ninth week and it's been fantastic, honestly. And the students have really, um, I think have gotten something out of it, but, um, anyhow, like one of the things that we, um, have learned through this journey as with our students is, you know, how can you apply this idea of beauty or like, how can you make it applicable? How can you make it true to life for you as a 15 or 16 year old? And one of the things that, um, that uh, Lisa Kutras talks about with Tolkien is his idea of um, being a sub creator. And, and this is something that if you are widely read of Tolkien, this definitely comes up. Um, but he, what that means is to, um, to him is because we are made in the image of God um, and because God is a maker, because God creates, then we also 
make, we also create, and we have this creative bone in our bodies. And so then we can use the gifts and talents that God's given us to make things um, or to do things. So like, you know, this table that we're sitting on right now, right? We can use the trees that God's created and use that to make a beautiful table. Um, and, and, and so that's something that we can do. And it's more fulfilling when we do those things. So if you have a, a, a penchant for, you know, drawing or painting or singing or whatever, we can do those things. Um, the cool thing that he equates to, though, this Tolkien is the idea that um, not only is it natural for us to create because we are made in the image of God, he actually calls it a Christian responsibility. And, and so the idea that um, we get to participate in Christ's redemptive work in this world by creating, by making. And so when we can um, not only learn to appreciate art, but now we can use the gifts and talents God's given us to create beautiful things or true things or good things, um, now now it becomes more real to the students. Um, and they are starting to think, like, what can I personally do yeah. to add beauty or goodness or truth to this world? It's no longer like, do I have to do this? Or I don't want to listen to this song versus this song. That's uh, kind of almost like out the window at this point. Now it's like, how can I contribute? Um, and, I, and I gave an example, like, when we preach the gospel, right? We're contributing. We're, we're you know, we're participating in the, the saving, you know, redemptive work of Christ. We don't save the people when we preach the gospel, do we? None of us do, right? Christ still does all the work. He still does the saving, but we are blessed by participating in that. Mm-hmm. And we can participate also by creating things of beauty, truth, and goodness. And, and it's made the, it very real to the students. Um, and now we're looking at ways like how can you personally, um, individually, based on what are your gifts and talents and things that you can use to add beauty. Which, again, just this is back to the point that it's the antidote to so many kids today that, that feel purposeless or go off to college and change their majors five times. And they don't know. I mean, they just were not gen, in general as a modern here in America, I think, preparing students for what is beyond. And part of it is because they don't know why they even exist or what their purpose is. I mean, you're saying you spent nine weeks talking about beauty. I mean, I'm sure people are like, oh, my gosh, like how many times can you show them a Rembrandt picture? So you're not just it's something more than that. You're awakening in them, I guess, a difference in a vocation and a calling. Like there's a calling on your life. Is that kind of what you're saying? I mean, like they're finding themselves in this story. Yeah, and, and it's become real. And so now when they do see a Rembrandt or listen to an opera, I mean, and just to give you an example, when uh, we've just finished the Iliad in our class, um, and as we go through the Iliad and, you know, I make a comment, oh, this is such a beautiful passage. And immediately some of the students are like, is it truly beautiful? Is there truth and goodness? I mean, they are instantly yeah. just bringing that to, to and Mr. Yeah. Duncan, is that, you know, truly beautiful? And then we have a t- conversation about that and they're starting to use those ideas to inform themselves. Is this something that can add truth or goodness or beauty to my life? And, 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 and it's becoming real to them in very many ways. Um, and I'm starting to hear them. They're starting to own it, which is really cool. They're starting to actually say words like beauty mm-hmm. in different contexts. I'm hearing them, you know, in the classroom or in the hallway and like, well, is that really beautiful? I mean, it's, yeah. it's really just been a neat thing to see. Well, it sounds like, again, just kind of as we wind it down, just again, back to what difference is this making in their lives? They're, they're, they're certainly making wiser decisions on media they're consuming because they're having to kind of run it through. It's yeah. I like the beat, but is this, is it an, an is it equally, um, representing something that's true and beautiful. So there's sort of a guiding, they have a compass, if you will. Mm-hmm. They're kind of working through decisions of media. They're making decisions about who they are as a person and how they will engage the world now and in the future. Yes. So these are very practical. I mean, I can't imagine better things to hand students in our modern world than 
shape helping them to understand beauty. Well, and it gives them something tangible. Like when you say, hey, you need to honor God. Right. Right. Well, what does that mean? Do the rules. Do the rules or whatever, right? Yeah. And and, and it's almost this abstract, Mm -hmm. ethereal thing. But now it's like, okay, well, actually, we kind of have an idea now of how we can honor God through the the media that we um, expose ourselves to and whatnot. And and, and now they do have a compass, I think, Mm -hmm. is a good way to put that. Where you know they still might make the wrong choices here and sure. there, and and that's to be expected probably, um, but um, they can make better choices yeah. now. I think too. Well, they have again. It's the difference. We're t- we sh- I should just record the breaks because fun things are already said over the break. We were talking about really. It's a difference in kids that just you know eat Taco Bell and think that's going to be the best thing they could ever find, and and actually having taken a cooking class with you and learning not only to taste excellent salmon well prepared, but to prepare it. I mean, so all of a sudden that's a huge game changer and how you would live your life around food and you're talking about the way they live around life mm-hmm. everything is so we're, we're moving from taco bell to salmon world here and teaching beauty so yeah. and, and once they experience that salmon they start to realize like why would i, why would want, I want that the taco bell right and i never had to tell them that salmon's better than taco bell right as a teacher like i never had to tell them that this is better and and try to explain that why and try to give a quantifiable whatever to that they start to realize it themselves, and it's very freeing as a teacher. So this, this we probably should have started this because I think kind of this tie a bow in it using this little example. But I think a lot of times in our classical Christian, conservative Christian world, we start with truth, which would be sort of like sticking up on the wall. Here's the Taco Bell list of ingredients versus the freshly cooked salmon, and we just sort of berate, if you will, with this is a bad ingredient and that's a bad ingredient and this is a good ingredient. And, this, and all we know is this sort of theory of cooking based on what's the white on the, the, the truth statements. And maybe the goodness is, um, you know, maybe what we should or shouldn't do, but beauty is the difference now in actually preparing that salmon and preparing that bean burrito and saying, okay, you go try these things. And aesthetically you've tasted something that's yeah. so much more powerful than a cognitive list of do's and don'ts. So, yes, I mean, I, that's, I think that's your point, yep. right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> you summed it up. Great. All right. I'm just trying to put this together and now I'm ready. I will never eat Taco Bell again, but all right. Ending on the, speaking of cooking in our final moments, I promised everyone that chef Nick, the theologian teacher would uh, maybe offer just some cooking wisdom to those of us who, uh, who, in, who we all have to cook. What should just uh, in our average home kitchens, which we'd be thinking about. Um, always find ways to build flavor. You know, so for instance, since like if you're going to put garlic or onions, like give that a few minutes by themselves mm. to really deepen that flavor and then add your other ingredients and you'll find you have a lot more complex uh, meal than just throwing everything in at once or what have you. Um, but I will say this too. Okay. Um, drink wine. Okay. With your meal. You're not Baptist, are you? No. Okay. Um, And and the reason why is because (laughs) wine has an acidity to it. Yeah. And so as you're, if you ever notice your first bite, like think of like an amazing restaurant you go to, your first bite is amazing. Mm. But then after five or six bites, it's not as amazing because your tongue is now coated with fat and different things. And wine actually cleanses that and it makes the seventh bite just as good as the first bite. So you actually get a better meal experience overall when you can drink wine. All right. Well. Yeah. At least for your adults out there, we'll, we can go that route. That's, but that's right. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> we'll definitely have to, we should just do the Chef Nick uh, cooking tip of, of the week for Basecamp. <laughs> so Nick, thanks so much. Seriously, this is really helpful. Um, mention again a couple of resources of books that were helpful to you that people might, hey, I want to read more. Um, you talked a little bit about uh, Lisa yeah. Kutras's book. Yeah. 
um, believe it or not, um, uh, Aristotle um, had some good stuff. Uh, but Lisa Kutras's Tolkien's Theology of Beauty, um, and then Roger Scruton, of course, and Louis Marcos, um, one of his books helped inform me. But, I mean, Martin Luther, Jonathan Edwards, all these yep. guys have touched on this subject, and just we just have to find it and rediscover it, I think. And some of the base camp listeners know a couple years ago, uh, Steve Turley came in and talked about his book, Beauty Matters. So different, a little different take on it, but at the same general point that it's really a, a very important thing that we don't lose. So, yes. Nick, thank you so much for thank being you. here. We'll have to have you back. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's a wrap on another episode of Basecamp Live. Guys, we know it's not easy raising the next generation. This idea of ancient future education is valuable and important. We are so excited about it, and we would love to hear from you and support you in what you are doing. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Basecamp Live. Also, send us an email at info at basecamplive.com. So until next time, let's keep climbing the mountain before us together.